Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share inspiring stories and tips on facing vulnerability and the lessons we can use to help us be able to find success and fulfillment in our own lives. With each episode, we hope to impact one listener. And if anything you've heard has impacted you, we'd appreciate you sharing it on social. Thank you for listening. Now let's get vulnerable. Laurel K. Hamilton said, There are wounds that never show on the body that are deeper and more hurtful than anything that bleeds. This is episode 73 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Janine Wirth. Growing up, her parents argued a lot, and at times even threw things at each other. To cope with it, she would just dig her head into her books and gain a lot of independence at an early age. It created trust issues and made her build walls to avoid letting anyone in. Then, at 18, she was carjacked, kidnapped, and almost raped at gunpoint. This would be a breaking point for her, and she would decide to finally seek help from a therapist. Years later, after starting a family, a friend on their deathbed would remind her that she needed to chase her dreams because we never know when our time will come. With the support of her family, she would go back to school to become a therapist herself, as she had always been fascinated with psychology. Now, she's helping women heal from their trauma and work towards the spectacular success they've always dreamed of. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with Janine Wirth. Hey, Janine, thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today. You're one of the many people that signed up through podcastguest.com. So far, so good. Um, I guess whatever, you know, little subscription or um, description I left of my podcast intrigued a lot of people. So I'm glad you were one of them and, and that you came on today to share your story. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So the first question I asked to get started is what is your definition of vulnerability? I think for me, vulnerability means to have the courage to stand in your truth and to speak your truth, regardless of how other people will react to it. And I sort of lived that the first time that I started telling my story after I became a therapist that very first podcast, I was shaking because I thought, you know, there, when you tell your story, especially nowadays on the internet with all the keyword warriors, there's so many people that have an opinion about everything. Yeah. And I thought, well, my, my ex colleagues are going to hear this. My friends are going to hear this. What are they going to think? Because until that point, I never spoke about anything personal so um it was a a big learning curve for me no for sure you know and 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 i've said this before and and my listeners are probably gonna get annoyed but what i'm really glad about is that how many people see vulnerability as this thing about sort of looking within yourself facing your truth like it's all about yourself rather than what you would see maybe you know on the internet nowadays where it's more about like let me spill my guts and see if people will feel like sorry for me which is what i feel like sort of the trendiness of vulnerability has become but what i'm glad is that the people that i'm bringing on here I'll have this similar definition of it really being something that you have to work on yourself. You have to be comfortable with yourself, which is, I think, the key to vulnerability, because the more you can do that, I think the more you can learn from it, which is, again, another part of sort of what I'm trying to do here. 
Um, so if, if, you know, looking at your definition um, and, and looking back on your own life and go back as far as you want, I've had people start when they were five years old and I've had people talk about high school, all depends on what you're comfortable with. When would you say would be the first time that you face some sort of vulnerability or challenges in your own life? Well, I, th- I personally think that I have a very intimate relationship with trauma. Um, my own mother experienced trauma uh, in her teenage years and had me at quite a young age and growing up in a very volatile, um, abusive uh, home as a child. I think that it's always been a part of my life, you know, and it's only later on when I realized Oh, but other people don't experience these things. Other homes are calm and peaceful and they don't have parents screaming at each other and throwing things at each other. And, you know, that sort of made me realize, okay, maybe my experience is a bit different. And obviously in my teenage years, I had completely different concerns to my friends. And then when I was 18, it was actually the very day that I, got my driver's license because I grew up in South Africa where you get your license at the age of 18. Uh, That night I survived a hijacking, kidnapping and attempted rape at gunpoint. And that was sort of my initiation into adulthood. And I thought to myself, wow, this is just like a roller coaster that I can't get off of, you know, because for me, the whole point or looking forward to adulthood was putting things that were beyond my control aside and actually being in control. And then something like that happens and you realize, but when will I ever be in control? You know? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I feel like, you know, and I definitely want to get into some questions, but I feel like this is going to be an interesting one because I don't know that I've had somebody on who has experienced some trauma, but then also is a therapist. So your perspective on all this is, I I feel like is going to be interesting, you know, because again, it's just, you you sort of had those two different perspectives that you're going to be able to give us. I had a guest on in the past who had experienced trauma and now works with people to help them with their trauma, but not in necessarily in the same sense as, as what this might be. So again, just wanted to, to put that out there, but you know, looking back on that, and, and let's go back to when you said, you know, growing up, sort of, you grew up in this household, you know, parents were sort of yelling, and there was, you know, some abuse and stuff like that going on. Um, you know, you, you said that, you know, at some point, you know, I guess going to a friend's house or something like that, you realize this isn't normal, you know, but what, what did you do at that time to maybe bring some normalcy to your life to sort of help you get through those tougher times? Was it just the escapes to somebody else's, you know, home or whatever? Or was there something else that you can remember that you sort of did to help yourself through that time? Well, for me, a way that I could have that sense of control or that feeling that I was in charge of some part of my life came through academics. So I was the kid who's never had a detention. I've never played hooky from school. I had really good marks and my homework was always done, you know, days in advance because I felt that for me, school was an escape, you know? So that was a place where nobody knew what was going on in my personal life, where I wasn't at a disadvantage, where I was just normal. So for me, 
I really excelled at school and used that as a way to sort of distract myself from the things that were beyond my control. And then later on, obviously after uh, my hijacking and kidnapping, I, a week after that, I was sitting, because the police had a big shootout and I got my car back and whatever. But a week after that, I was actually sitting in my car and a friend who didn't know what had happened to me, because this was before the day of social media. And I don't know if I would even have got something like that <laughs> on social media. Um, he crept up on my car and slammed his hand down on the driver window as a joke. And in that moment, I had such a visceral reaction. You know, I was getting heart palpitations. It felt like I couldn't breathe. And I thought to myself, this is not normal. And I then decided to seek professional help because having the childhood that I did, I grew up to be very independent. I had this belief I can only count on myself. And I didn't want to live my life or start adulthood at a point where I couldn't leave the house or where I wasn't in control when I left the house. And it, it was actually very interesting because in that first appointment, you obviously tell the, your therapist why you're there and what you're seeking or wanting to accomplish. And after I told him my story, he said to me, Janine, I think the resilience that you built up because of the childhood you had, it actually ended up saving your life. And that was such a breakthrough moment for me because it was the first time in my life that I had an ounce of gratitude for what I had experienced to that point. It's, it's uh, you know, it's interesting to me looking back at what you started with there about how like you sort of said school is this escape. But what's interesting to me is how like you brought up the point of, you know, it, it gave you a sense of normalcy because people didn't know what was going on. And, and, and I imagine that is sort of the case for a lot of people is that there's, you know, people look at you and they assume and they judge and they make all these sort of, they have all these ideas in their head um, about you or what's going on and they really have no idea, you know? And, and so I, again, I just sort of found that interesting because, you know, to me, you know, I think that's something that sort of everybody can relate with in a sense, maybe not in this, in, in the fact that, you know, they had parents who, you know, were, were arguing all the time and stuff like that. But I think all of us can sort of, uh, relate with that sort of escaping from something whether it's our own lives or something that's going on within our lives or outside of our lives or whatever the case might be um so i just i just wanted to sort of touch on that because i think like i said if there's other people listening they might be able to go okay yeah here was my escape or here was what what i used to sort of you know get through that time what what new strength would you say you discovered in yourself to me it sounds like maybe just your ability to um you know sort of focus on something else so you, like whether it was school or whatever the case might be like what what strength would you say you discovered in yourself at that point in time um with everything that was going on well i think it created this sense of independence within myself where i knew that anything that i could put my mind to that i was in control of like getting good marks i could bet on myself because I was the only one that basically had my own back. So I think combined with the resilience, I'm a person who's very determined, who, you know, other people look at it and say, oh, well, that's impossible, but that's not, and I'll instead ask the question, how can I make this happen? 
what do I need to do? How do I need to show up to make this a reality? And that is something that has actually served me my entire life. Well, again, it's, yeah, no, I, and and so for me, like I'm listening to that, and I'm going, you know, like if most people that would go through something like that, I don't know that that would be the outcome. It would probably be more of, you know, they they hold on to this for a really long time. It may cause things like depression or anxiety, or and I'm sure you may have dealt with some of these things at some point in time. But the the fact that you were able to sort of look at it and go, okay, you know what, I'm gonna have to sort of take care of myself. I'm gonna have to be more independent and, and sort of learn that lesson at such a young age too, because again, you know, I, I, I'm 30 something years old and I don't know that I've still figured that out, <laughs> you know, and for you to figure that out as a child and then, you know, going into to sort of adulthood teen in your teen years and go, you know, I'm going to have to sort of do this for myself and use that to drive you and push you forward and give you that mindset of instead of thinking something's impossible, thinking about how can you make it possible or how can you do it is pretty uh, awesome to me again, at least because I think it, it's, shows that it's definitely helped you I'm sure career-wise and everything like that you know speaking of careers and and like I said at the beginning of this you know knowing the sort of what your career is and 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 what you went through like would you say that knowing what you know now you would still look at that as maybe the the best way to handle things or or have you reflected back on it and and thought maybe there is something else you could have done I'm and I'm just interested because like I said because you have this this background I'm just curious as to what your thoughts about it are looking back now. Well, I didn't start out as a therapist. You know, I went into sales and marketing and I had a corporate (laughs) career for many years. And it was only when one of my best friends uh, was on his deathbed, he was dying from cancer. And he said to me, make sure that you're living with purpose and you do something that you love. Because I thought I would have more time. And that sort of got me not into an existential crisis, but it definitely got me thinking into, is this really what I want to be doing with my life? Because at that point, the higher up I was going in my career, the more unhappy I was becoming, which doesn't make sense on the surface. But knowing what I know now, I consider my purpose to be, the person that helps people heal from stuff that's happened to them to discover who they meant to be before all of that happened to them. And the more you sort of veer away from your calling, I think the more unhappier you become because the universe is like trying to guide you back onto that path. No. And and I'm not a woo-woo person. Ten years ago, I'd be doing a double eye roll when people talk about the universe or manifestation. I'm like, oh, my God. Because by nature, I'm a very scientific, logical kind of person, you know. So it's been a very interesting journey and experience getting to this place where I am now holding that space for people. Because very often, I'm the first person to hear my client's story. And that is a privilege that is priceless. Uh, 
I was just over here smirking and it's not because obviously the story or whatever's funny, but it's because, you know, I can definitely relate with that whole thing of like, just not believing in that sort of stuff, thinking it's crazy and, and just sort of ignoring it for the most part of my life. And funny enough, for the first part of my sort of life and career and everything like that, I was in sales as well. <laughs> so I'm just kind of, you know, wondering if maybe there's something in that world that sort of shuts us off because it's so demanding and, and competitive. And there's, I think it, there's a lot of things that it does to your mindset and your mind that we're unaware of, at least in, in my sort of case, in my opinion, because again, like I said, it is so competitive and you're so driven yeah. to like, you know, hit a quota and then hit, hit more quota. And, and it's just, there's, it's a very laser sort of focused thing. And you, you don't tend to like notice anything else that's going on in your life. Like, you know, I, I have said, you know, to before I, I now work in a factory as sort of my, you know, way to make an income and then do the podcast. And I know a lot of people have asked me, you know, like, why would you have left sales? And I said, well, because what you don't realize is that as much as this job is physically stressful, that job is mentally stressful. Like I remember being on vacation with my wife and still like doing sales and not even enjoying, like here I am on a beach or in a tropical place and I'm still, you know, on my computer, right? So again, I, I don't know if you relate to that, but it just, I don't know if there's something about that sort of career specifically that tends to sort of shut us off or or not open us up to like a lot of the other things in life. I, I don't, again, I don't know if you can relate or if I'm just going on a, a rant here. <laughs> Well, one thing that I did realize after I studied psychology and became a therapist and looking back on my own life, because having this analytical part of my personality is in sales, you are virtually relying on yourself. It's your performance, you showing up, you doing the calls, you taking the action that gets you the results. And my entire t childhood trained me that I can only count on myself. So that was like the perfect career for me. So I found that very interesting afterwards to see, ah, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> no, and, it, and now that I, you're saying that, it's making me think, but I'm, I'm not going to continue with my own story. But it just, <laughs> it's definitely giving me something to think about because I, I'm, I, again, I can't completely relate, but I just, there's some ideas running up there right now. So how did you, because again, you know, we, we just sort of glossed over it there. You said, you know, you were in sales and marketing. You had this friend that was on their deathbed and then, you know, they sort of said like, go after whatever makes you happy. Like do, don't waste your life with just whatever career. But how did you get from sales and marketing to like, how did you realize that that was your calling? Did you always have something in you that said, that's where I want to go. That's what I want to do. Or was it just like you had to do some sort of, you know, inner work or some reflection, like what sort of caused that to happen? Because that's a very, like, in my opinion, at least it's a very extreme, like, difference, right? There's no sort of relatability that I can think of between therapy, becoming a therapist and sales and marketing. <laughs> well, after I realized that I had PTSD and went to therapy myself, that sort of started this lifelong affair with trauma. I read everything I could get my hands on. I was doing research to understand why my parents behaved the way that they did. Um, and in my own mind, you know, for me, a lot of things were making sense. And I thought to myself, you know, if only I had been in a position earlier, then I would have studied psychology. It's always been an interest of mine. But life just didn't work out like that the first time around. So when I had the opportunity, when my children were a little bit older, I then moved to Germany and 
with this whole experience, I was having these conversations with my husband and I'm very blessed to have a very supportive husband. And he said to me, if that's what you feel you need to do, then I want you to do that. And I mean, there's so many people who have this calling inside of them and maybe don't have that opportunity. So when it came, I grabbed it with both hands. And again, I asked myself, I have three children. I live in Germany. German is my third language, not my first. How can I make this happen? And from there, things started falling into place. Okay go to England and do your clinical hypnotherapy, do this. You can, you know, from there, it was just once that ball started rolling, the opportunities started coming along. Cause I think the way we communicate with our minds is so important because if I just thought, Oh, well, I'm too old. I'm too busy. This is not going to happen. I should just stay. I'm making good money. Then I wouldn't have followed that path. But instead of asking that question, how could I make this happen? Then your mind starts looking for solutions. There's like that little hamster on the wheel thinking, how can I make this happen? Ooh, what about this? What about that? I think that puts you into a completely different mindset, a solution-oriented mindset. Yeah. Again, it's it's. It, I'm just thinking about like how many times, like whether it's I've told myself or or other people have sort of told themselves something's too hard, and because of sort of it sounded like to me like you're saying, you know, oh, I have this good job and I have you know the my career is going well and I'm making good money and everything like that. And I've talked about this before, probably a hundred. Well, not a hundred because I haven't had a hundred episodes, but I've talked about it a lot. It's that whole thing of being comfortable. That whole thing about the comfort zone is like a lot of us think about the comfort of our current life. And, and where we're at and so then it just sort of holds us back from from moving on and I'm glad that you had the support of your husband to sort of help you I can relate with that this podcast wouldn't have started if it wasn't for my wife so you know I can definitely relate to having a good support group and whether it's just your spouse or friends or other people in your family like the people you sort of surround yourself with makes all the difference in terms of you know where you're going to end up uh, you know going in your life whether it's up or down or sort of staying stagnant um, I think that 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 definitely makes a difference. Obviously, uh, the the end result or, or you know the um, the decision is completely up to you. It's your choice. But having those people around you makes all the differences to where whether you're going to be successful or or maybe fail or or whatever the case might be. So I can definitely uh, understand that, and it's just something I want to keep reiterating because I think that if there's other people out there listening to this that are struggling through something or maybe thinking about something and they haven't you know, necessarily, um, you know, given it a go, then if they maybe realize, is it somebody that I'm surrounding myself with? Is there somebody in my life that's holding me back? Then maybe I need to sort of shift or change that person or whatever the case might be. So um, again, just wanted to sort of to, to bring that up. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's very important to ask yourself these questions because we go through the motions of life, especially when you have a partner and once the children come and all of that, you become so focused on just getting through the day and getting everything done that you don't really ask yourself these deep questions, you know, and asking yourself, am I actually happy? And then going within and listening to the answer, you know, I think that not enough people do that because I'm at a point now where I feel so aligned with my purpose that even if I had to win 
a billion dollars in a lotto or something, I would still do this work. Uh, that's pretty impressive to say. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people, if they were to win a billion, <laughs> that's a pretty big number, would say that they would still do what they're doing now. I mean, I think if somebody gave me a few million, I'd quit my job tomorrow, <laughs> let alone a billion. But, you know, there's things that I still think I'm working on to get aligned with in my life. But nonetheless, I, I think that's pretty incredible that you've you've reached a point where not even that kind of money would stop you from doing it. And I'm sure it's, you know, partially because like you said before, you know, you went through all this stuff before you didn't really feel like you had the help. You didn't feel like you had sort of the support that you needed. You were very independent and just sort of, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but it seems like you probably held a lot of it in. You, you probably kept a lot of it to yourself for a long time, uh, suppressed it, whatever word you want to use. Um, and, and now you're trying to do everything you can to make sure that other people don't make that same, I don't want to say mistake because I don't think it was a mistake, but you want to try and help people avoid sort of the, some of the pain and suffering that maybe you went through um, in your past. Yeah. I want to provide people with the opportunity to have support and to have that that safe container to get the help that they need to work through those things. Because a lot of times when people come to me, they, they'll say to me, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I challenge them to reframe that and to instead ask what happened to me? Because we are all born with a clean slate. It's the things that happen to us throughout our lives that affect how we think about ourselves, how we show up in life, how we show up in our careers, in our relationships. It affects how we parent. It affects so many things. So I always tell people, you know, whatever happened to you is not your fault, but healing, making the choice to heal, that is your responsibility. Because I don't want my children to suffer because of what I had experienced. I don't want my children to have a childhood that they needed to recover from. That was like my main goal before I even had any idea of becoming a therapist. That was just like, I just want to go through life and not screw them up. Well, and, and yeah, no, I've, and I've heard uh, through other podcasts and stuff like that, that trauma is definitely something that's transferable. It's not, you know, a lot of us think like I went through it and I'll just sort of keep it over here and make sure that they're not, they don't see it or, or that they're not part of it. But there's some things that are like not even consciously transferred. Like it's almost an unconscious transfer that we're not aware of, but I'm assuming that with your background, with what you've got, what you're in, like with you going into psychology, becoming a therapist, that it's probably helped you a lot more in terms of making sure that, you know, your kids definitely don't have to sort of go through that or experience it in the same way that you did. Yeah. And I think so many people have experienced trauma. You know, when we talk about trauma, people think, horrific car accidents, war veterans, but the mind doesn't perceive trauma like that. Trauma is anything where the mind is shocked, uh, scared, doesn't know how to react, doesn't feel safe. So even things like neglect or having a parent that's emotionally unavailable or, you know, emotional abuse. When I talk about abuse, everyone thinks, oh, sexual abuse. Like that's the worst thing that can mm -hmm. happen to you. It's not because a child that is neglected and doesn't have the feeling of being loved unconditionally, and they see that their friends are loved unconditionally, what do they do? They take it personally. They don't think, okay, well, there's something wrong with my parents. They think, what is wrong with me? 
And that affects the way that they think about themselves from that developmental age. And that affects them their whole life. So we need to change this thing about it has to be this big T in, in psychology, we call it big T and small T trauma where, you know, it has to land you on the front page of a newspaper before it affects you. It doesn't work like that. I'm yet to meet a person who has not experienced trauma. <laughs> and I mean that I'm dead serious when I say that because every single one of us has been affected in some way, whether we acknowledge it or not whether we realize it or not, because we're so taught by society that we need to rate and compare that if it's not front page news, well, then obviously we're, it's not good enough to be treated or it's not bad enough to go and seek help. And I'm like, people just take those that need for outside validation off of it because your story matters. You earned that story. You deserve to get the help. And there's so many factors that play a role in how we react to trauma. Did you have loving parents? How much resilience? Are you a sensitive person? Are you an empath? There's so many things that play a role in that, that the same thing could happen to two different people and the one could be completely shattered and the other one would just shrug it off because they're so used to bad things happening to them. So I just wish that everyone would stop this rating and compare. There is no prize. Okay, we just need to realize there is no prize. Because <laughs> a lot of times when I meet women, they'll tell me, oh, well, you know, I grew up in a domestic violence situation, but at least I wasn't raped. It's like, I'm not handing out prizes today. Yeah. You need to validate your experience for yourself, regardless of what anyone else thinks. Something that came to mind as you were saying that, and, and this is something that I've asked other guests um, and, and just it's a personal curiosity, but I think it's also important maybe for other people to consider. But, you know, I, I've always looked at myself as somebody who, you know, I've never thought about going to therapy because I I feel like I'm, you know, a fairly strong person. I'm, you know, I've, again, I, you know, now that you're bringing that up, maybe there's something that I went through that I just don't remember. I have no idea. But the the question I'm trying to get to is like, is, is therapy one of those things that you feel like, um, you know, almost everybody should sort of experience in some sense, like just to almost have somebody to talk to. And I just ask, cause like I said, I've asked in the past where, you know, people have sort of said that they went, like I've had people that have gone to it because they needed to, like they, they knew they needed to. And then I have people that maybe just did it because, you know, they were, there was something about their life and they're like, well, this seems like maybe a good idea and maybe this will help me. And then it did. And so I'm just curious again, you know, it's a personal curiosity. And then as well for, for the listeners, is this because the way that you were describing it there, it seems like it's something that maybe we all need to, to do in some shape or form to just maybe, you know, almost make sure uh, again, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I just wanted to see if you have any thoughts on that. So here's my thought. I think that therapy is for normal people who want a safe space, a non-judgmental outside view to work through things that have happened to them. Psychiatry is more for people with mental illness where they need more of a medical intervention. So for me, therapy is just providing that space for people to be able to process painful life experiences. Because when you experience something, say as a six-year-old, 
you're not mature mentally or your mind's not mature enough to process that in a healthy way. And children can't go out, you know, adults have some really unhealthy coping mechanisms. You know, they'll drink a bottle of wine or they'll smoke a packet of cigarettes or, you know, they'll have promiscuous sex, whatever floats their boat, gambling. Children can't do that. So that's where behavioral issues will start showing up, being withdrawn, isolated. There are other ways that it will show up. And once you get to the point in your life where you realize, well, you know what? My childhood wasn't all sunshine and roses. Maybe I should just speak to someone to help me process that stuff. That's always a good thing. You know, so I think that... It's something that most people should have. Hmm. Well, again, I'm glad I asked because I think that's definitely one way to look at it. And I've never really considered the difference between something like, uh, I think you were saying like a psychologist and, and the difference between a psychologist and a therapist. I didn't even really differentiate the two, but maybe that's just because I haven't experienced it myself or, or just haven't looked into it enough. But I never realized that sort of there is that way to look at it, whereas therapy is more of just like almost almost like having a friend to talk to, but somebody who's definitely got you know some knowledge and, and can help yeah. you work through the things. Whereas with, like you're saying, with psychotherapy, it's more of if you have like a specific diagnosis diagnosis or something that you need to seek help for um, because there's no way to sort of work on it yourself or with just like sort of a conversation so uh, I think that's a good perspective for not only myself but anybody that's listening um, I want to go back for a second to you know sort of you you sort you told your story at the beginning you know you went through your childhood with this trauma at home and then you know at 18 you had the incident happen with you know the kidnapping and everything um and this is again just trying to piece things together but what by time you had hit 18 was there like a point uh, that you had started to sort of maybe I don't know if accepts the right word but you'd started to sort of um, work through some of what happened in your childhood you had started to maybe sort of move from move forward from it and then that did that that incident at 18 then sort of re-trigger things like again I'm just trying to get a an idea because we the story just sort of went from like childhood to 18 uh, so I'm just trying to understand like you know how sort of things were going and then sort of you know from there well I definitely now I know that it was starting to show up in my life without me realizing it because I'm sure you've heard people say before like the women in our family have very bad tempers. Like it's something that is now an actual thing. It's not. You all just don't know how to deal with your emotions because nobody's ever taught you. You know, that's why you all have a bad temper because you don't, you can't control your reactions. You're being triggered all the time. Yeah. So we had that sort of situation and I was a very, a lot of people when they first met me and when I was younger would think that I'm very standoffish because I wouldn't just allow people into my inner circle thing. Obviously the things that I've experienced. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was sort of a more observing and getting to the point where this person has shown me that they are worth trusting, you know, so having that wall, that security around me all the time. Um, and it was when I started going to therapy and started working through the stuff that I started noticing these patterns showing up. But the thing is, when that is your normal, you don't realize that it's an issue because it's normal to you. 
you know, almost two decades of seeing that behavior uh, being conditioned in that environment for you, that is normal. Okay. So, I, so I, yeah, no. So I guess basically what you're saying is like that it, it, it didn't, it took until you actually did therapy yourself before you were able to sort of um, start to change, I guess, the way that you were looking at yourself, your, your life, your experiences and everything like that. So it seems yeah. like even up until that point at 18, like you were still sort of reserved, you still had the trust issues, you still had that wall that was built up. And it took yeah. until you decided to sort of take that journey towards going down into therapy that that sort of started to help you work through um, everything that had happened. Yeah. I was not someone that would run towards feelings, put it that way. I would avoid <laughs> them like the plague. It's like, eh, unsubscribe from that. <laughs> you know? Because I had developed that ability to just numb or to dissociate and not actually sit in those feelings because I didn't, nobody showed me how to do that. It was easier for me to just ignore it or push it aside and get on with what I needed to do because how does a 12 year old deal with stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. So for me as an adult, that's been an interesting experience learning how to actually sit with my feelings. Cause I, you know, I, I said to one of my clients once she had the same thing where she would rather just ignore or run away or just not face it. I said to her, you know, anyone that's watched, um, the walking dead will know that you can put those zombies in a shed or a barn and at some point they're going to break out and your feelings are the same. Every time you stick it in the basement or the barn, they not just they're those feelings are working out. And when they break out, it's like a prison escape. So it's easier to deal with them one at a time than all at once. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, but it, I mean, it's a process. You don't go from one day to now being all kumbaya. And I still don't think <laughs> that I'm that, you know, my clients refer to me as the, the no bullshit therapist. I'm not a care bear that's going to, you know, give you a lavender scented hanky <laughs> through the process. I'm there to hold that space for you and to call you out in a loving way when necessary. But because of the stuff that I've experienced and the things that I hear being a trauma specialist, it's not for the faint hearted, you know, you need to have a certain amount of strength to be able to do that. So I do feel that everything that I've experienced has sort of built into that. A couple of things that, that sort of came to mind when you were talking about that one was, I was literally, I think it was last night I was listening to another podcast and during the podcast, they talked about emotional intelligence, which is this thing that, it's definitely getting talked about now, you know, with the popularity of the book that came out um, and just seems, you know, again, probably with social media and everything, it's just these things that we weren't aware of before are now becoming, we're becoming more aware of them. And, and something that was said during that podcast was like, if you think about any sort of uh, anything in life and how long it takes before it becomes like a normal thing. So um, I, I can't think of an exact example right now, but the, the point is, is what they said is like, it's going to take probably another 50 years before emotional intelligence is something that we all understand. And to your point, it's not something that we're, we're sort of brought up with. It's, we're not taught in school or even through family or whatever it might be like how to deal with our emotions. And, and so I just, I just sort of related the two where it seems like this is something that maybe we need to 
find a way to start bringing into whether it's our curriculum, our school systems, or some shape or form. Because I think that if we're waiting another 50 years before we're all emotionally intelligent, there's a lot of other bad stuff that can happen in that time. But it seems to me like that's sort of the point that you're making is that, you know, you didn't know how to deal with your emotions. I don't think a lot of us do. And so after a while, it just sort of builds up, builds up, builds up. And then boom, it's like, it's like an explosion. And, you know, the second thing I wanted to bring up is that, you know, in terms of like, I can relate with that in, I had a loss a few years ago, didn't deal with it at all when it happened, just sort of like put my head over here into this and that and everything else and just kept myself occupied not to deal with it. And then when I finally sort of had a conversation with somebody about it, I started bawling uncontrollably, like my emotions just like flooded out of me. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> and when you're saying that, it makes complete the sense. Zombies like, broke loose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The zombies broke loose. It was just like I had been holding it on to it for so long and not wanting to say anything, talk about it, whatever, just sort of ignore it, hoping it would go away. And then boom, there it was. So I, I think that a lot of us can take something from that in terms of just like, be careful how much you do that. I mean, I'm sure, you know, if you want to sort of, maybe hold it back for a period in time because maybe there's something going on that's not so bad. But if you just keep doing it constantly over and over and over again, the zombies are going to break loose, which I love the analogy and I did watch The Walking Dead. So I definitely understand it. Um, and I think, you know, anybody can, it's, it's sort of the same thing, like whether it's zombies or whatever, if you sort of put too much into, it could be like a, a bag of garbage. If you overfill it, it's going to explode, right? There's so many yeah. different ways that we could look at that, but, uh, but definitely appreciate, appreciate that analogy. So looking back at, at sort of, and, and I think we've touched on this a bit, but looking back on everything that's happened throughout your life, like how did it help you get to where you're at now? I, and I, like I said, I think you've touched on it, but just if you don't mind getting into a little bit more, like, uh, cause again, I don't, um, I don't know that you, you sort of looked at yourself at that point in time after your kids got a little bit older and said, you know, I'm going to go into therapy because of my past, but I'm sure there was some sort of tie in there. Yeah. Well, from the time that I had my children, I was very aware of this desire to not let them experience what I experienced in my home. So that has always sort of been a motivator or a driving force within me. And I think being able to be vulnerable with the people that are close to me that was probably the biggest thing because I'm so used to being there for other people, but I was the one that was always keeping everything to myself. You know, I avoided feelings. I avoided these deep conversations because I just didn't feel, I suppose, safe or I didn't feel like I knew how to deal with those sort of things, you know, to speak my truth because I grew up in the generation of, oh, you want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about. Or, you know, we, it's not okay. Well, let's talk about your feelings. It's like, get yourself together kind of thing, you know? And I think for a lot of people in our generation that grew up like that, I mean, if you look at it now, where children are encouraged to talk about their feelings, where they actually are encouraged to voice their opinion I didn't I wasn't allowed to have an opinion growing up my opinion was I don't have one yeah. <laughs> you know so I think that that has changed a lot and even when I decided to become a therapist and when I decided to start speaking 
openly about these things, I first had to have that conversation with my own children. Because I didn't want them to see it on the internet or hear about it from somewhere, someone else or that. And I think that they were just so flabbergasted at the contrast. And for me, that's the win. That was the whole point. Because they were able to sort of see like, here's our mom. She went through all this, but here she is now in front of us and the person that she's become. So you're able to show them like, yes, there's going to be difficulties. Yes, there's going to be things that are going to challenge you throughout your life, but there is a way to come out of it, which I think is an incredible lesson to, to teach your children. I mean, I, like I said, I, uh, before we hopped on here, I have a five-month-old, so uh, you know, I'm definitely thinking about the future, and, and that is one thing that I will definitely take away from everything you've said today is, is that you know, we, can, we, we should maybe be sharing, and, and it's not about just you know, putting it all out there and, and blabbing about it or whatever, but to be able to show your children something like that I think is, is incredible because, again, there's definitely going to be challenges for all of us. They may not be you know, what, you, what you went through to the exact extremes or whatever, but there's all, we're all going to have challenges. We're all going to have things that we need to face, and if we can understand that you know, there's a lesson to be learned, there's something to take away from it, I think that that's key. And, and again, that's what I'm trying to do here with this podcast, this show. Like, here's somebody who went through X, Y, and Z, and now has still made their way through it and has figured things out and whatever the case might be. And, and, and I'm sure there's still things to figure out and we all still are on some journey of some shape or form. But the fact that, you know, people are able to sort of overcome these things, and I don't know if that's the right word, but if it, it just to me, it's, it, I think it can give a lot of us hope and give a lot of us something to maybe think about when we're reflecting on our own past and our own uh, and the things that we all went through. One thing I wanted to ask, and just to see if you have an opinion about it, but you did say like, you know, when we were growing up, you know, our generation, and I agree, you know, it was sort of like, you know, if, if you start crying, it's like, I'll give you something to cry about. You know, my my dad's, uh, you know, Portuguese, very European, and I'm sure at some point in my childhood, he said something like that. You know, not that he was a bad dad or anything, but I'm sure something like that came up because I feel like that's sort of the mindset. Um but, but then you said, you know, nowadays it's not so, what, what do you think maybe caused that shift or, or have you ever given that thought? Just cause I'm, I'm curious because you said sort of, there's a difference between one generation to the next. Do you, do you have any ideas as to what that might, why that might be? Well, in the past, you know, men had to, they had something to prove. They had to be tough. They had to provide for their families. They had to just make sure that everything was okay. They didn't have space. I mean, I'm sure your grandfather didn't have space to talk about his feelings. I mean, nobody in that generation did. So, and people were just struggling to survive and to just make it through life kind of thing. And I think now that people are sort of more settled or, you know, the way that society has progressed where men are actually allowed to have a feeling, you know, before it was like, oh my God, don't, ooh, gross, you know, where now, and I think women as well have learned to appreciate that in men, you know, and given them that space, giving them that allowance to actually have those conversations. I mean, grandfathers that were in the war or whatever, they didn't have time or yeah. space for that. Nobody cared, you know, <laughs> it was just, survival mode and i think now as we're changing i mean even if you just look at tv 
20 years ago, you wouldn't see like gay people on TV or you wouldn't see a man crying in a movie or anything like that. It was just like not non-existent as society has changed and as this representation has changed, it is now allowed people to realize, okay, maybe the way I grew up wasn't the perfect way. Maybe I can allow my son to talk about his feelings and to express himself. Because I think men had it even worse. You know, little boys always thought, boys don't cry, be tough, be a man, you know. And now it's something that we actually place value on. It, it sounds like what I was saying a few minutes ago about emotional intelligence taking 50 years to hit all of us. It sounds like to me, what you're saying is that it's starting to creep in, <laughs> that we're starting to understand that there's something there, that there, there's something that we need to look at. We can't just keep sort of ignoring it or, or you know, uh, ex- acting like it doesn't happen, like you said. Or yeah, it's the book that came to mind. I haven't read it yet, but I, I listen to Lewis Howe's podcast all the time. And he wrote the book, The Mask of Masculinity. And, and he talks about that sort of stuff all the time. And it seems like, you know, that, that sort of that shift is that men are starting to recognize that, you know, being masked doesn't really have anything to do with how tough you are and how thick your skin is it's more about you know looking at yourself figure out who you are and working through your your stuff rather than just sort of you know again acting like it doesn't happen or it doesn't exist so um yeah i think it relates to a lot of what we've talked about today so looking at where you're at right now with your life and and like you said you know if you want a billion dollars you'd still do what you do so I, i feel like i already know the answer to this question but i'll ask it anyways would you say that at this point that you've found success and fulfillment in your life or that you're still on your journey towards that? No. I once told someone that I don't have a bad day at work and they looked at me as if I just landed a spaceship and they thought that I was just, you know, BSing them. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm at the point where I really feel that because the work that I do makes me happy on a soul level. I know that if I get out of bed and I show up and I use the skills and the gifts that I have to the people that I'm privileged enough to work with, I know that they're leaving me better than when they came. And how can that make me have a bad day? Yeah. It's almost, you, you, you literally define that saying, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> that's why. I, that's why I literally mean it. If I had to win a billion dollars, I would be doing even more of this work because then it wouldn't matter if people could afford me or not. I wouldn't have to do this work, you know, with a monetary value added to it because I have kids and bills to pay. I'd be able to do so much more, you know. So, I think. That's why it's so important to ask yourself these questions because I feel that that is my legacy. When I die one day, I have changed lives. I know this. And to be able to say that and to know that, what is better than that? Yeah. Oh, I, I think I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think having an impact on people is one of the biggest things that we can do. Uh, you know, I've heard over and over again, whether it's books that I've read or podcasts that I listen to, that being in service of others is where we find true happiness. And again, you're literally defining that as we go here and, and what you're saying. And and so I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you found that because I, I, again, like I said earlier on in the episode, 
for you to go through what you've been through and then come out to this point and get to this point. I think that's pretty incredible and, and something to maybe for us all to sort of, not necessarily we, we don't all need to aspire to be a, a therapist or, or whatever, but it's something for us all to like definitely give some thought to. And, and even what you said about sort of reflecting on what we really want and how important that is, I couldn't agree more. So I'm getting down to the last couple of things here. I want to respect your time. Um, but if you can sort of look back on your life and if somebody were to listen back to this episode, like I said, I, I said at the beginning, I thought this would be interesting and it definitely was because you were able to provide these different perspectives, which was awesome. But if you can look back and, and you were able to give our listeners three important lessons, three things that could help anybody that's listening to this move forward from whatever they're going through, what would you say your three important lessons would be? you cannot change what you're not willing to acknowledge so if you know or you notice that you are in a place where what i call secondary symptoms are showing up these are the symptoms that people come to me with not realizing that the the root cause is in emotional baggage things like sabotaging yourself procrastination um fatigue, addiction, uh, eating issues, insomnia, these sort of things, when that is showing up and you feel like you're doing all the things and not getting the results that you want, that is a sign that you should take a look at your life and what you really want and how you feel about things because emotional baggage doesn't magically disappear. It piles up in the corner and at some point you have to take care of it. You know, it's like those garbage bags piling up at some point it's causing issues. You need yeah. to take care of it. The second one I would say is stop saying yes to shit that you hate. <laughs> because we all do it. Yeah. And when you fall into that energy of obligation, and you become a people pleaser and you are taking on more than you can manage, you become burnt out. And when you are burnt out and feel taken advantage of, you're not the best version of yourself. You're definitely not showing up as the best version of yourself. And my last one is boundaries. And this is something that I had to learn because I always thought that, you know, if I can't help someone or if I want them to think I'm a nice person or I'm say yes. And people took advantage of that in all ways, shapes and forms. So it's being able to know that you can say no and still be a nice person. No is a complete sentence because a lot of times, especially women, you know, as little girls, we taught we have to share and we have to be nice and we have to give and we have to do. And we just get completely bombarded with that. So, and self-care, definitely important. If I don't look after myself, I know that I'm not going to be the best wife. I know I'm not going to be the most patient mother. I know that I'm not going to be the best therapist. I need to make sure that... I'm coming from a place of my best self. And that means, you know, getting enough sleep, good nutrition, 
moving your body physically, doing something just for you, whether it's putting on headphones and listening to your favorite music and dancing like it's 1999, doesn't matter. Just do it. Because, you know, everyone says, oh, you can't work from an empty cup. If I had a cup of coffee and I put it down, you wouldn't come and drink from my cup, would you? <laughs> Definitely not now. With yeah. Corona. <laughs> yeah. Even before then, you probably wouldn't no. drink from my cup. Yeah. My cup is for me. It needs to be full for me. What overflows from that cup into the saucer is what I use to serve my clients, my friends, my family, but that cup has to be full for me. And I think a lot of people are so used to living from, they think as long as there's a little bit left in that cup, it's okay. And it's not. We've been taught that it needs to be half full. Half full is better than empty, whatever. It's all nonsense. The cup needs to be full for you. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, I was laughing when you said that because literally the episode that I released on Tuesday this week, the person said the same thing and I laughed the same way because it's something that I'm hearing over and over again. I, I took that whole cup analogy from uh, the book, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari by Robin Sharma, where he talked like the whole, one of the stories in that book is about if you, how can you give somebody else water if your cup isn't full? Like if you're, like, you're thirsty and you don't have a full cup, then you need to drink that water to, to quench your thirst and avoid dehydration, whatever. But once it's overflowing, then yeah, of course you can give some because you have more than enough for yourself. And so I, I just, I love that that example keeps coming up because I think it's an easy way for people to understand. Like, yeah, if you look at yourself, your life or, or yourself as a cup of water and it's, it's half empty all the time, like, what are you working from? Like, and, and how are you expecting to give more to other people if you don't even have enough to take care of yourself? So 1000%, and I think that the whole idea of boundaries and self-care, they tie in so well, because if you don't have the boundaries, it's next to impossible to take care of yourself. Because like you said, you're always sort of putting yourself here, there and everywhere. Um, and, and I think that's, that's definitely important. And the second one, you know, I, I laughed as well, because I think that that's like a truth bomb and a half for you to say, like, literally, like, you got to say, you, you can't just say yes to everything. Like it's, it's, and it's something I'm learning as well. But it's, it's so true, like, and how exhausting it is. And we don't even recognize it, because we're just so worried about, if I don't say yes, then what's the judgment that's coming at me? That's what we're worried about when it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, because if it's not good for us, then what does it matter whether somebody else judges us or not but you know again we could we could we could spend another probably 20 minutes on that but like I said I want to respect your time so the last thing um, is really you know you came on here today you opened up you shared a lot and so I just want to give you an opportunity to just sort of promote yourself tell everybody you know where to find you on social your whether it's a website whatever it is that you want to sort of talk about the floor is yours go ahead thank you so on Instagram, I'm a therapist underscore Janine Worth. And my website is Janine Worth with an I, not an O, dot com. And I can also give you the link to a free quiz for your community if you would like, where I've taken all of my knowledge of mindset, how the mind works, psychology, trauma, and put it into a quiz that helps people to realize if they have subconscious blocks, if yes, what kind, and to sort of direct them, give them a place to start their healing journey. Because, I mean, we're all one small decision away from becoming the next best version of ourselves. 
Yeah, awesome. Yeah, if you definitely send that over and I'll make sure to put in the show notes as well as your, your social handles and, and your website and everything. So, um, you know, I, I, I say this probably every, at the end of every episode, but I'll continue to say it because I think it's just, I don't know, it just humbles me. This whole experience really humbles me because we don't know each other. I mean, you live in a completely different country. I'm in Canada. You're over there in Europe. Like we're in totally different places in the world. And yet, you know, you came on here today, you shared very openly. And, and like I said, at the beginning of this episode, and I was right, it, it, it was such a great sort of way to uh, experience all this and having with you having sort of the 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 knowledge of a therapist but then as well as experiencing what you did i'm just it was a pleasure having you on and i I just want to thank you again for coming on for for trusting me for sharing as openly as you did and for giving us really a lot of lessons and a lot of things that we can learn because again you have that perspective so thank you again janine and uh yeah i i I look forward to uh staying connected and and probably in the future having you on again because i think that there's more that we can touch on and and i as i'm doing this i'm noticing sort of themes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that are reoccurring and so i think that there's definitely some more that we can discuss so yeah thank you again for for taking the time today you're very welcome and thank you for providing this platform where people like me can hopefully encourage other people and let them know that regardless of where they start out or what happens to them that can be just one page of their story and they can create the rest Awesome. Awesome way to end. Thank you again. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also follow me, Brian Almeida, by searching my name on all platforms. If the podcast has impacted you in any way, I would also greatly appreciate a review. Lastly, if you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, I would love to have them on. Thank you and see you next week.